Would you pray with me? What an amazing promise we just sang. You said, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if it were not so, would I have told you? But if I go, I will return. That where I am, there you will be. What an amazing promise. That in the meantime, you will not leave us or forsake us. Your spirit will indwell us. For we are your children. You are a perfect father. Lord, I thank you for so many things. I thank you for the privilege of being called your child. I thank you for the privilege of being called a pastor of your church. I thank you for these precious souls that stand with me. But most of all, I thank you for your love demonstrated on a cross from which your grace flows unending. Oh Lord, may we drink deeply from that fountain of living water. And may we walk out of here today different than we walked in because we have been with Jesus. It's in His mighty, majestic name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. It's good to be back. Um, thank you. I don't know what else to say, but thank you for the sweet gift that you gave my soul. And that you gave to me and my wife and my children. Um, it was an amazing time. The last couple, I'll be sharing stories, I'm sure, throughout the rest of the summer, but um, I'm not going to talk much about it today. It was a sweet time. Um, the last couple weeks, I've been rewriting some of our discipleship material, and that has been a great time. Um, but mostly, it was just a time to be with my wife and my daughters and my Savior and to read. I probably, I read like 20 books, some completely worthless, some wonderful, none of them about the church but most of them about Jesus Christ. Um, I also read in just my Bible reading, in addition um, to some other stuff I read throughout every year, through the Bible through a year, is I read the letters of Paul in the order that he wrote them. And it really helped me get to see the heart of the shepherd as he matured over time. And I know one of the last letters he wrote was Philippians, and that's what you guys were blessed to go through while I was away. And in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it said this, Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind and maintaining the same love and united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And that purpose is to exalt Jesus Christ, and you guys did that. The eight men that filled this spot did an amazing job, and I was blessed to get to watch them over the last couple weeks, and uh, I am just so grateful. But as a body, guys, you guys have exalted Christ, and for that I can say thank you. I pray that we continue to do that even now as we go through this new series that we're starting this um, for the remainder of the summer. It's an eight-week series 
that we're calling the Songs of His Blessedness. And God put this on my heart before I left, actually, and here's why. And you're going to hear this throughout, um, probably at the start of every message. I'm going to guess this for the next eight weeks. The great tension in modern Christianity is our struggle between knowing we are supposed to live out Christ's commands, but ignoring what he taught in the Beatitudes. So we have this tension of, as Christians, we know where to walk in the manner in which he walked. That's what 1 John tells us. But at the same time, we read the Beatitudes and we go, yeah, not so much. I don't really like these. Here's why. In our culture, I love how Pastor Ray Ortland um, says, he says, in our culture, the we want the Beatitudes to sound like this. Congratulations to the entitled, for they demand what they want. Congratulations to the pushy, for they shall win. Congratulations to the greedy, for they shall hoard and hide. Congratulations to the vengeful, for they shall be feared. Congratulations to the deceitful, for they shall look good. Congratulations to the argumentative, for they shall get in the last word. Congratulations to the popular, for this world lies at their feet. But guys, that is not the way of a Jesus follower, and we know that. Right? And so in his, in his first public sermon he ever gives, the Sermon on the Mount, he busts out with what he believes are the most important things about what kingdom living looks like. And Dan read it as the welcome. I'm going to reread it in Matthew 5, verse 3. You don't need to turn there, but it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So where do I get this title, The Songs of His Blessedness? Well, what I decided to do, or what the Lord kind of put on my heart before I left, was I wanted to teach through some psalms, but I thought, but, but this, this um, tension of the Beatitudes was heavy on my heart as well. So I thought, okay, let's marry the two, and let's take what Jesus taught in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, and let's marry them with some psalms that talk about that topic. And so that's what we're going to do as we go through this. The word blessed in, in the Beatitudes um, doesn't mean happy or joyful in the context that Jesus said it. It, it actually means to have the full favor of God placed upon you. So what we're going to see is we're going to see these songs or psalms that talk about God, talk about his love, talk about his mercy, talk about just who he is, and we're going to, and we're going to marry them with this idea of having the full favor of God on our lives. And my prayer, our prayer, honestly, as we go through these eight Beatitudes, is that we wouldn't see them and run from them. But that we, or, or even just sort of begrudgingly accept that this is what Christians are supposed to look like, but that we would embrace them and go, this is kingdom living. And we're going to start with today's. It's blessed is the poor in spirit. And the word poor there does not mean I don't have as much money as the guy next to me. The word poor there actually translated should be completely destitute. Jesus was saying, blessed are those that have 
nothing. That leads to today's question. Have you filed for bankruptcy? Have you filed for bankruptcy? And my ultimate answer is, if you haven't, you should. And if you have, you probably should do it again. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who was a 19th century preacher, said this, You have taken a giant step towards true Christian maturity when you can say to the Lord and mean it, My goodness is nothing apart from you. So open up your Bibles to Psalm 16, and let's take a look at what David, who writes this psalm, says about being poor in spirit. We're going to spend most of our time on the first point, and that is that we are poor apart from him. So in Psalm 16, starting in verse 1, so the psalms are in the middle of your Bible. More or less, if you open it up, you're going to get to Psalms or Proverbs. We're looking at Psalm 16, and David says this in the first two verses. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good besides you. Some translations might more um, clearly translate that. No good thing do I have apart from you. It's actually saying there's nothing in my life that is good that is not of God. And nothing that is of God is not good is ultimately what, what, we're, what the psalmist is saying there. But here's the question. Do you see the goodness in your life as having come from God, not from yourself? Guys, one of the first things the Lord just, just ripped my soul to shreds over in the first couple weeks of, of, this, of my time away was, Doug, have you become so high and haughty about who you are in Christ that you have forgotten your daily need for the grace that made you whole and holy in the first place? Have you become so high and haughty about your Christian walk that you have forgotten that it is grace that made you whole and holy? It's not your goodness. It is God's grace. Guys, unless we see all of our goodness is coming from him, we cannot embrace the grace of God. How do I know that? Because Jesus taught this little parable in Luke chapter 18. Don't turn there. We've, we've talked about it here a few times. In Luke 18, it's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And all that is really saying is the Pharisee he was using as the model of the most self-righteous person and the tax collector he was using as the model of the biggest sinner on the planet to the Jewish person. Right? So he's saying, here are these two people. And the Pharisee goes over and he says, Lord, thank you that I'm not like this sinner over there. Right? That, I, that I do all this churchy stuff. And he lists all these churchy things. And then it says, but the tax collector could not even bring himself to look up to God. And all he said was, be merciful to me, a sinner. And implied in the story that Jesus tells is, in fact, he says, this one, the one who just cried out to God and said, I am a sinner, be merciful. He entered into the kingdom of heaven, not the other one. It's not about our goodness. It's about God's goodness. One of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes, it's from the book that, one of the books that was given to me early on as an unbeliever in college. The Mere Christianity, it says this. Pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. In God, you come against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. 
Unless you know God is that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you look down at others, you cannot see something that is above you. Guys, we must, we, we have to remember that. We have to, we, we have to come to him knowing that we are bankrupt. But we can't stay there. Why? Because we don't want to walk around Eeyoreing it going, oh yeah, being a Christian is so sad. No! And we'll talk more about that next week when we, say, when we talk about blessed are those who mourn. But guys, the, the truth is that as believers in Jesus Christ, we are no longer bankrupt. In fact, we are now the richest people on the planet. Because Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you, Jeff Dawkins, are a holy nation. But you, Jason Smith, are a royal priesthood. Right? But you, Mark McCoslin, are a people for his own possession. Why? That we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. That's the riches we have now. We are the wealthiest people on the planet and we should live like that knowing that apart from him we are completely bankrupt. We are saints who still need the Spirit. How do I know that? Well, because, again, don't turn there, but I'm just going to ask you to do something for me. I'm going to pray through a part of Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is another psalm that David wrote. It was after he had sinned by committing adultery and murder. So no matter what you think you've done here, no matter, no matter where you think you are, in maybe you're wallowing around and going, yeah, I, I believe that God is good and I, and I know firsthand that I am bankrupt. Maybe what you need to be reminded of this morning is that the grace of God is sufficient. In fact, it's all sufficient. So David said it this way, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression." Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done evil in your sight so that you are justified in your words and blameless when you judge. So Father, we come before you as sons and daughters and we lay our sin before you. Lord, let us be a people that don't try to just get better at hiding our sin. In fact, let us be a people that don't start with even just trying to stop sinning, but let us be a people that start by confessing our sin to you and to one another because we know without a doubt that your grace is sufficient, that power is perfected in weakness. So may we be a people that boast in our weaknesses and see your grace. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in secret. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. So Father, we come to you right now in supplication, asking you to once again 
pour your grace upon our sin, to wash us, to clean us up. Lord, we don't come on any account of our own, but by your goodness, seeking your mercy, expecting your grace, in Jesus' name. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. And so, Father, we thank you for the truth that that there is no sin too big that you can't cover it. There's no place we can run that you cannot find us. And there is nothing apart from us hardening our hearts towards you that will cause your grace to not be applied to our lives. So Lord, may we, if today we hear your voice, may we not harden our hearts. In Jesus' name. Guys, so we should start recognizing that we're poor apart from him, but we shouldn't stay there. Right? We've got to quickly turn our mourning, as, as Dan talked about, our mourning into gladness, our sorrow into joy. And again, we'll talk more about that next week. Because, because we are always, get this, guys, you are always harder on yourself than God is. If you're his. Now, if, if you're an unregenerate person, that's not true. And I know that because for the first 24 years of my life, I was not unregenerate. I, I was an unregenerate person, I'm sorry. And, and, and so my sin was not something I was even aware of. In fact, in fact, evidence of my salvation was the conviction of my sin immediately as after being born again. Not that I stopped sinning, but that I immediately felt something I never felt before, and that was conviction. But my biggest problem is me for sure, and the fact that I am always harder on myself than God is. We are, oh, guys, God, get this, write this down if you're, if, if you're a note taker, get this. God does not make me a masterpiece to leave me in a museum or desert me in a dungeon, but to display his grace in and through my life. God did not call you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light to leave you in a museum somewhere or to just desert you in a dungeon, no matter how far from God you think you are or where you think he's gone. But he wants to show you his grace. So today's question, have you filed for bankruptcy? The first we have to start there, and we spent most of our time there because, because if we don't come to Christ knowing, and you hear this a lot from here, and you heard it from the other guys over the last eight weeks. Guys, if we don't come to Christ knowing we desperately need him, we don't come to Christ. We don't. He is not just here to smooth out the rough edges. He is here to do a complete makeover. He doesn't just cover the wrinkles. He makes you new. So I want to look at four ways that he makes us millionaires. 
So we were poor apart from him. We're going to quickly, and I do mean quickly, just because they, they don't take long, go through four ways that he makes us millionaires, the, the way, what the psalmist says. So if you look back at Psalm 16, and you look at verses 3 and 4, we are rich in the one another's. We are rich in the one another's. It says, as for the saints who are, in the, who are on the earth, that's the, ho- the saints are the holy ones or the saved ones. So, as, so he's saying, as for God's people who are on the planet, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who, are, who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. It, it, I can't help, again, don't turn there, but it, God hit me with this this morning as I was meditating more on this passage. It, you can't help, it's, it's, it's a reflection of what David says in Psalm 1. Blessed, are, um, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the path of the wicked or sit at the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in it he meditates day and night. Guys, he's, David is saying here, look, I, I, one of the great blessings of God are the one another's. And if you've read through like First and Second Samuel, towards the end of Second Samuel, he lists these mighty men of valor that he was so thankful to have in his life. Now, it wasn't always pleasant. Some of those men, not just Nathan, some of those men were, were really good at pointing sin out to David. But David had come to realize he needed it. He saw godly people in his life as God's grace gifts. Do you? Do you see each other? Because guys, being away from you and then going and seeing out six other churches and here's what I walked away. I go, we are a blessed people. And I don't mean because of this building and I don't mean because of this teaching and I don't mean because of the music. And I, I mean because of you guys. Because of us. And, who, and what Christ is doing in us. We are a blessed people. So the first way he has made us millionaires is that we are rich in the one another's. We are also rich in relationship with him. We are rich in relationship with him. Look at verses 5 and 6. David says, The Lord is my portion of my inheritance and my cup, you support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. You can read this again, but he was a king. Well, first of all, we don't know, actually, that, that David was a king when he wrote this psalm, because many of the psalms he wrote when he was running from Saul in the wilderness. So we can't go, well, of course, when he says, the lion has fallen to me in pleasant places, easy for you to say, King David. He could have been bandit David hiding in a cave somewhere when he wrote this. So take that argument away. What he's saying is, I, my relationship with you, my, the, the cup that he's talking about there is the cup of blessing. When he says, you support my lot, it really means you guard all that is mine. You protect my life. He's like, you have become, God, my all in all. Where did David learn that? David learned that, that God was his all-in-all in the cave, not sitting on the throne. Guys, we want the crown. We don't want the cross. We want to sit on the throne, but we don't want to go through what it takes to get there. 
David learned kingdom living by running in the desert. We're going to look in a couple weeks at Psalm 23 where he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then at the end of the psalm he says, My cup overflows. Do we see our relationship with the Lord that way? Do we see, the, guys, the beauty that, that, that is opening up this word and having it speak to our soul? I'll be honest with you. One of my big fears in, before I left for the sabbatical time, I was, I was nervous. And I confess to some of, you, some of you guys, please pray for me because I'm very nervous about being away. And it had nothing to do with this place. This is not Doug's church. This is not Jeff's church or Dan's church. This is the church of Jesus Christ. It's his church, and he will build it. I wasn't worried about that. Not because I don't love you guys, but because I knew he was on it. Here's what I was worried about. Lord, what if I don't know how to relate to you apart from this? And I don't mean, the, I, I spend time in the Word every day that has nothing to do with the preparing a message. I'm not saying that. But for seven years, I have been the pastor of this church. For 12 years, I've been in full-time vocational ministry. Prior to that, I was heavily involved in campus ministry where I was discipling students. So it had been 15 plus years since I had just been with the Lord just to be with the Lord with no other thing. And I'm like, what if I don't know how? What if my relationship with him in that way and hearing his voice in my cup overflowing was dependent on having someone to give it to instead of just to be filled. And he worked me over pretty hard over the first week or two. And he said, Doug, is it because you're so worried about exalting who you are in Christ that you've forgotten that I pour into you just so that you will exalt Christ? And you can do that whether you're a pastor of a church or not, Doug. Don't get so caught up in exalting who you are in Christ that you miss just exalting Jesus as the end, not a means to the end. I felt like this was the picture he gave me when I got back. I felt like I was in the boat, in the storm. He's walking on the water, and he's saying to me, Doug, come. It's time to start walking to me. And I'm like, man, I, I haven't been out here in a long time, Lord. And I'm walking out there to him. And I got out there and I fell a couple times and I stumbled and he reached down in his grace and he picked me back up and we walked back to the boat and now we're now for, for weeks like four, five, and six of the sabbatical, man, we're cruising along. It's like the cruise ship some of you guys went on this summer. It's all you can eat. It's a great time. There's all kinds of entertainment. I'm loving my time with the Lord and then I come back and now I feel the same anxiety about my relationship with him, honestly, sitting here or standing up here today because I'm going, yeah, but, but Lord, I... Because now I feel like now I feel like we're in the boat together, and he's going, Doug. It's 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 time for you to get back out there. You need to get back on the water, son. And I'm like, yeah, but I really like the cruise ship. You know, I, I like this. This is really cool. All you can eat is awesome. But that's not why he's feeding us. What would happen to you if all you did was cruise all the time? You talk about the def yeah, somebody's like, woo! Uh, you talk about the definition of fat, dumb, and happy. <laughs> and completely useless to the kingdom of God. So, first thing we have to do, guys, first thing we have to do is recognize that we are poor, bankrupt, destitute, and devil-bound. 
apart from him. The second thing is we have to recognize, here's how he makes us millionaires. We're rich in the one another's. We're rich in relationship. We're also rich in his wisdom. Look at verses 7 and 8. Rich in his wisdom. The psalmist David says, I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Guys, do you get this? We don't need to be afraid to admit our bankruptcy because he is at our right hand and we have his wisdom right here. We have his spirit in us if you're his. We don't need to fear saying, I am nothing. I don't have an answer here, Lord. You get a phone call from a friend who really needs some assistance. Don't rely on your own wisdom. Pray immediately, Lord, in this moment, give me the words to speak to this person. He will. And then just trust him to do it. If you're taking notes, James chapter 1, starting in verse 5, he says, if you lack wisdom, ask. And he won't resent you asking. God, give me some wisdom here. He's like, all right, I, I'm glad you asked. Thank you. He says he'll give it to you abundantly. But if you ask, don't be double-minded, James says. You better ask believing he's going to do it or he isn't going to do it. Jesus says this in, verses six, in, in Matthew 6.33, towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount where the Beatitudes start. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? That is probably the biggest question we have as Christians. Do I believe Matthew 6.33? If I seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, everything else will be added unto me. How do I know if I believe that? Here's the answer. Do you live it? Do I live that way? Guys, if I believe that the answer is somewhere in me, like that I have some wisdom of my own, that I have, then I don't feel the need to come to his word. If I feel like my bank account has got this covered, then I don't feel the need to pray to him about this situation. How do we know if we believe what Jesus taught in Matthew 6.33? Are we begging him for his power, his mercy, his grace? Because we know we need it. So today's question, have you filed for bankruptcy? How do you spend your time, talent, or treasure? Guys, we seek him first, and, and you know, this is my, I, I haven't lost my soapbox. We seek him first in the word because he asks us to, yeah. Right? We, do we seek him in his word because it pleases him? Of course. Do we seek him in his word because there's promise of blessing? Absolutely. But guys, here's the secret that I, I figured on my sabbatical. We got to seek him in his word because we realize that, that, we have, we have nothing apart from his wisdom. You're going to read about this in your daily readings. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians. He says, the wisdom of man is foolishness to God. And the foolishness of God, or, and the, and the foolishness of God is wiser than any man. Here's what Paul's saying. On God's, and I'm putting air quotes, on God's worst day, his worst decision ever is infinitely better than anything you or I or all of us together could come up with. Do we believe that? That God's worst 
Wow, God, you really missed the mark on that one, and it's still in every way infinitely bigger and better and, and, and more awesome than anything we could come up with. So we're poor apart from him, but we're rich in the one another's. We're rich in relationship. We're rich in wisdom. And the last part is, we're rich in Christ forever. How does this psalm speak about being poor in the spirit? Because David got to the end of this, wherever he was at this point in his life, David got to the end of this place and he said to himself that God is the defender of my life. God is my answer in death. God is my everything. And look at the last few verses and we're going to finish up and go into our time of response with this. It says, Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, you, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Guys, that, that, yes, I know that that is a precursor to the promise of Jesus Christ's resurrection, but it's also a promise applied to us that ultimately, yes, do we, when we die and we're buried or we go into the ground, we, but, but ultimately we will get new bodies in a new heaven and a new earth whether it's de decay or cremation, God's going to knit it back together. Now get this, guys. This verse right here, if any of you are familiar with John Piper, or you like his writing or his preaching, or you've listened to him on YouTube or whatever, this verse is what turned Pastor John Piper's life around like 40 years ago. This one verse right here. This is where he gets his whole shtick that makes him John Piper. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, no one, because in light of all of this, no wonder my heart is joy fulfilled. I am yours. You are mine. What else matters? But the question is, do we find our fullness of joy in him? If all you had was Jesus Christ, is he enough? That was one of the things that we thought, we're like, we're pulling away from all of these relationships for a season and going to be disconnected in, 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 a, in a sense for a season. And it scared me and my wife and my daughters to death. But here was the beauty of it. What we got to see firsthand is Jesus is enough for us. That if all you have is Jesus Christ, if no one else you ever knew and loved was going to be in heaven with you, would that still make you want to go just because you want to see Jesus? If we're sitting here today going, and some of you have, have recently lost loved ones and we've been praying for you guys. But guys, if you're sitting here today and you're going, I can't wait to get to heaven so I can see whoever passed away, as your first thought, Jesus isn't enough. Because that sentence should end with this every time. I can't wait to get to heaven to see Jesus. That's the reason. Is it yours? Because I invite the music team to come up and we're going to spend a few minutes responding to him in song and in communion 
I want to ask you, do you see how spiritually poor you really are? Do you see your daily, do I, guys, maybe you've been sitting here and you've been a believer your whole life, maybe you're a fairly young person, you're a, a teener or a tweener or something like that, and you were raised in a Christian home, first of all, thank God, second of all, you're sitting here and you're going, yeah, but I don't know, I don't really know what he's talking about here because I don't really see, I haven't really seen my need. Or if I saw my need once, I've sort of forgotten my need because I feel like I'm walking pretty well with the Lord. Then you're missing out on the grace of God. Because anytime, anytime Doug goes, you know what, I'm in a great place with the Lord right now. I'm good to go. Oh, no. The enemy's like, oh, I got that dummy right where I want him. Here they come. Why? Because I didn't armor up. The cross of Jesus Christ is what differentiates Christianity from every other belief system in the world. Why? Because it is the proof of the penalty that the penalty's been paid? Absolutely. Because it's the proof of the victory over death? Assuredly. That he rose again to prove that the payment was sufficient? Absolutely. But guys, it's ultimately a demonstration of love. This is a picture of how much he loves us and what he was willing to do for us. Because he had to. He's the only one with the bank account big enough. Right? The reason we don't have to worry about filing bankruptcy is because we have come to recognize that his riches are infinite. So we don't need to fear the bankruptcy. But some of you are sitting here right now. So as we, as we close with this question of, so are you ready to file bankruptcy? Some of you are sitting here right now and you're, and you're thinking this way. You're thinking you know what? I'm a pretty good person. Okay, apart from the bad theology, I get, let's say I get that. Here's the problem. You have no, you're comparing yourself to the slob sitting next to you, not to the glorious God who stands above you. Compared to God, your best day, your best thing is what? A filthy rag. Isaiah 64. So you're thinking to yourself, but you know what? I'm a pretty good person, so I'm not really bankrupt. Yeah, I like this Jesus thing because he can help me out. Then you don't really get him. You're not really getting grace. And some of us are sitting here and we're thinking to ourselves, well, you know what I'm going to do? I, I get it, I get, but I'm gonna, I am going to white-knuckle this thing through my sanctification. I'm going to become more like Jesus Christ by just working harder. You don't get grace. What I mean is you don't mentally get grace. Because the first step for any of us in getting the grace of God and having it applied to our hearts is recognizing we got nothing. I'm glad to be back, but I come back as a man bankrupt, refreshed, my soul soaked and still bankrupt apart from him. Let's pray.
Father, I just come to you right now with my brothers and sisters in Christ and those in this room or at the sound of my voice that do not yet know you. And collectively we come together and I, and I ask that you would do, do, do this one thing. That your spirit would move in this room on each of our hearts and help us take our goodness out of our hands and place them in yours. Whatever those things are that we think are so good, that make us so special, take them out of our hands. Put them in the pierced hands of your son, Jesus Christ, that we might taste of his grace. Lord, I pray that if there are people in this room that need prayer right now, whether it be unto salvation, whether it be they, they just need to, they need to confess and be prayed for and loved on. I pray that they would get up and go to the back of the room right now where there are people ready to pray for them. And Father, if, if somebody came here with someone else, that, that they would go back there with them and encourage them And be Jesus to them. We don't need to hide. We need to stop the pretending. So, Father, I thank you for the cross. I thank you for the truth that the penalty is paid. I thank you for the reality that victory is won. I thank you for Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen.